We're going to read God's word together, so um, we're going to start at Exodus 33, starting at verse 18. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. The Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablet, which you broke. Be ready in the morning and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain, not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him, and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for their sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation. Continuing on the next page, 34, chapter 29. Chapter 29, uh, verse. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterwards, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out, he told the Israelites what he had been commanded. They saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. And then flick forward a few pages to page 101, which is chapter 40, verse 34. 101, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel during all their travels. Uh, our next reading is from Revelation um, on page 1250 of Church Bibles. 
uh, chapter 21, starting at verse 22. That's page 1250. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is God's word. Well, good evening. Uh, my name's Phil. I hope to meet you after the service if... Uh... If it's your first time here, I do hope you can stay around. You're with us for the very final talk in the book of Exodus. So you've got an outline on the back which will help you. There's all sorts of passages we're flicking between, but we're really landing on one particular theme tonight, and that is the glory of God. Let's pray for his help as we look at his word together. Our Father God, we... We know that you say in the book of Exodus that you did these things that the world might know you. And so we pray tonight as we take one last look at this glorious book that we might see you, that you might drive away from us the the wrongful, the small, the silly ideas that we have about you and instead we might see you in all your glory and majesty and that we might see that you are a God worth worshipping. Amen. Now, the book of Exodus really reaches its climax in that final reading from Exodus that we had, from Exodus 40, as the glory of God descends on the tent, the tabernacle. And the glory of God is an enormous theme that runs right through the Bible. It's also a massive theme, particularly in the book of Exodus. But the glory of God is one of those phrases that many of us will have heard, lots of us will have used, and few of us really know how to define But it is a crucial thing, if you follow the Lord Jesus, that you understand this. It is one of those uh, Bible phrases that has enormous importance and impact. And so tonight, we're going to work out from the book of Exodus, what does it mean, the glory of God? And therefore, what does it mean for us as we live our lives? Now, literally, the, the word glory comes from the Hebrew word for weight or importance. But it's not, the you know, weight as in this weighs 300 grams, it's, oh yeah, it's the weight felt, it's the experience of weight, the, rather than the academic concept of it. 
And in Exodus, it is associated, the glory, weight of God, with uh, this glory cloud. We've seen it again and again, that God appears in this this cloud of shining brilliance. At night, it's like a a blazing fire. In the day, um, uh, a shimmering, shining, bright light cloud. Uh, And we've seen throughout this uh, truth that... um, that focuses on uh, chapter 29 and verse 46, as God reveals his purpose in the whole book. They will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that, why did God do it all? So that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. God desires to be with his people. That's why he instructed them to build this great ornate tabernacle, the tent. And in uh, in chapter 40, if you flick to chapter 40, uh, on page 101, page 101, and the very last paragraph there on the right-hand side of the page. As the tabernacle is finished, seven times we read in that final few verses, glory or cloud, glory, cloud, glory, glory, to say that God descends to be with his people. To say God's glory fills the tabernacle is to say God is present there, right there. So if you like, God's glory is um, his active, manifest presence, we could say. Or for more simple terms, it's God seen and God experienced. God seen and experienced. But God's glory is not quite the same as God. To say God's glory is not exactly the same as saying God It is the presence of God, the experience of God, the impact of God on us that is his glory. In fact, to use the simplest illustration and one that the Bible itself uses, the difference between God and God's glory is the difference between the sun and sunshine or the sun's rays. What God's glory is to God, the sun's rays are to the sun. Now I can tell you all sorts of things about the sun. It is 330,000 times heavier than earth, in spite of the fact that it is basically made up of the lightest element of all, hydrogen. The temperature at its core is a staggering 15 million degrees centigrade, which is even hotter than the central line on a summer's day. uh, It is 93 million miles away from earth, and yet it is the the main source of energy for our planet. In fact, uh, you can power at any one moment 2,880 trillion 60-watt light bulbs with the energy that the sun produces. The sun imparts more energy to the earth in one hour than we generate or consume in a year as a human race. Facts. You can know about the sun by reading Wikipedia, by looking at pictures. But you only experience the glory of the sun when you click off your computer and step outside And on a sunny day, you feel your body bask in its warmth. That's when you experience the glory of the sun, as opposed to learn about the sun. You see, it's to move from theoretical knowledge of the sun, which is what we have for nine months of the year in London, to experiential knowledge. And to say, as uh, God does, as Moses does in chapter 3 and verse 18, show me your glory means, God, I want to experience you. I don't want to know about you. I want to know you. And we're going to learn three key truths about the glory of God 
as we see what, what it means for God to do that for Moses, to, to let us experience him. Three key truths. You've got them there. God's glory reveals, God's glory transforms, and God's glory overwhelms. And each time we'll see how as awesome as what Moses' experience is, it is nothing like as good as what you and I have now that the Lord Jesus has come and we're under his covenant, the new way of dealing with God. So firstly, God's glory reveals. Um, we'll turn back to the passage that we studied in depth um, last week, and we're just going to look at one or two aspects from it this week. So chapter 33, uh, on page 92, chapter 33 on page 92, uh, verse 18. Page 92, uh, right at the bottom right-hand corner of page 92. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I'll remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Jump ahead 34.6, just further down the column. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. We dug in depth into six to seven last week. Uh, but just for now, look closely at verses 18 to 19, which sort of tee that up. Verse 18, Moses asks God, show me your glory. Do you see God's answer? He doesn't refer to glory. He says that involves him showing his goodness, it says. And the glory, the goodness, the presence of God, verse 19, is seen as he proclaims his name. Again, verse 19. Isn't that interesting? See, God's glory his presence with his people in Exodus is this visible, shining cloud. But at this central moment, this critical moment, as God reveals himself to Moses, to experience God's glory does not mean that Moses has an ecstatic experience, a feeling, an unconscious spiritual communion with God. God is known, as Moses knows him here, in his words. As he speaks, that's how he chooses to reveal himself. He says, you want to experience my glory. You want to see my glory. I will proclaim the truth of my name, my character to you. So God is not glorified by some vision that you and I can interpret however we like, so much as by the proclamation of his character. God's presence in other words, he says, is with us as his word is proclaimed. His presence is with us as his word is proclaimed. That's what Moses sees. Show me your glory, I'll proclaim my name to you. And when we turn to the New Testament, it's extraordinary that we read this about the Lord Jesus Christ in uh, John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 14. The word that's the Lord Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, 
the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In other words, Jesus Christ is the answer to Moses' question, show me your glory. Ultimately, God does that by becoming a human being, by wrapping his glory in flesh that we might know him. God revealed to us and present among us is Jesus Christ. The thing is, uh, Jesus only lived 33 odd years on earth and spent only three of those years in public. But he did something at the end of his life to ensure that you and I, who couldn't see him physically when he was walking around Judea, can still see his glory, can still know his presence with us. What did he do? He didn't paint a picture or commission a sculpture. In fact, we know nothing of what the Lord Jesus looked like in spite of all four Gospels. Nothing. He didn't uh, cause a symphony to be written with music that would move us in a certain way. He didn't give them a ceremony so that they could bring back the Shekinah glory cloud of Exodus. What did he do? He did none of those things. Instead, he commissioned the apostles, the eyewitnesses, to speak words, to tell others about him, and then towards the end of their lives, to write those words down so that you and I would know not just about Jesus, but today you and I can encounter the glory of God. We can experience the glory of God as we know the person of the Lord Jesus, as we meet him in the pages of his word. We experience the glory of God as we meet the person of Jesus in the pages of his word. When you open this book, And when you read of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are having not an academic experience, but a personal relationship. Not less than academic, but far, far more. You're experiencing God revealed, the glory of God. But God's glory does more than just reveal him. The second thing we read is that uh, to encounter God changes, it transforms us. And we see this in the the rather strange-sounding account of Moses' shining face. Um, We The second chunk of chapter 34. Look with me uh, over the page on page 94, Exodus 34 and verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterwards, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites, what had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. Moses' role is as God's mediator. He stands between God and the people. That's his role. God speaks to Moses, and then Moses speaks those words of God to the people. But as Moses spends time with God in the presence of God, Moses is changed He is transformed. God descends in this this cloud of brilliant light. And Moses' face shines when he spends time with that God. Verse 29 and 35, his face was radiant. 
Now, come September, when I stand here and survey you, you will look different. Lots of you will look different. You will have been changed by the fact that over the next three months, you'll probably spend some time outside and enjoy the experience. Your faces will have a healthy glow, a tan. Some of it will be artificially topped up to last through September. Your faces, however, will show the effect of being in the sunshine. For some, a healthy glow. For other, a lobster-like radiance. Uh, But you cannot spend time in the presence of the sun without being changed. It's as simple as that. It changes you. And the same goes for time with God. You don't physically change when you spend time with God. And there's not, it's not as if when you become a Christian, you get a halo. Actually, people do. That's not quite true. There is so often when people first turn to follow the Lord Jesus, not the halo bit, but when, <laughs> let me qualify. When people first turn to follow the Lord Jesus, the experience of joy of knowing you've been adopted by the God of the universe and forgiven all your sins, you often see people do, do smile more than at any other point in their life in the first few months of following Jesus. But you don't get a halo. But there is a transformation, a real transformation, instantly. When you turn to Jesus, you go from guilty before God to forgiven. You go from spiritually dead to spiritually alive and adopted as a child of God. That changes instantly. But there is also a gradual change, an invisible internal change. The Bible calls it sanctification. And sanctification talks about the slow, internal, lasting change as the Lord gets to work on us and roots out those deeply ingrained patterns of damaging sin. It's a work that starts deep inside us, but does work out into every area of our lives. And 2 Corinthians 3 is is basically Paul's commentary on Exodus 34, 29 to 35. And in 2 Corinthians 3, Paul says this in verse 18, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is spirit. As we spend time with the Lord Jesus in his word, his spirit is at work to help us slowly but surely reflect his image more and more. Our glory is that God is at work in us to make us more like the Lord Jesus, more courageous more joyful, more self-sacrificial, more devoted to serving others than myself, more forgiving, more free, free from uh, the, just the damaging, destructive, addictive sins, more the men and women that God always intended us to be. If you like, uh, we were, you and I as humans, we were, we were made as mirrors. Um, I've ruined this mirror um, for the sake of it. We were made as mirrors to reflect the glory of God like the sunshine. But we've damaged, defaced, marred, ruined God's mirror. We can no longer properly reflect the sunshine of God's glory. We've written our own ideas of what a human being should look like, our own ideas about God on ourselves And we can no longer reflect God properly. But as we come to the Lord Jesus and spend time in his presence, what he's doing is ripping off the sinful mess. And slowly but surely, he is at work until finally, one day, we will perfectly reflect the sunlight of God. And that is what God is doing as we spend time with Jesus Christ. 
If you ever needed more motivation for spending time studying your Bible in the morning, this is what's happening. As you spend time in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is transforming you so that you become less like the sinful mess and that you reflect the glory of God the way a beautiful mirror reflects the sunshine. Before we move on, and uh, at the risk of overinterpreting the details, do you see how in verse 29 Moses is unaware of, that his face has changed in Exodus 34:29? I think it is often like that with us too. I feel like a failure. I don't feel like I've changed in years. But the truth is, well, there is some truth in that. I haven't changed anything like as much as I should do. But the truth is most of us cannot see when we're changing. That's why we need other people to see that we are reflecting God more than we used to. So don't be stingy with your encouragements. As you see each other change, praise God and encourage one another. Speak out as you see the work of God transforming the people in this room. So the glory of God reveals, it transforms, and finally it overwhelms. Turn with me to the final verses in the book of Exodus on page 101. The previous five chapters have set out in exquisite, or some might say excruciating, depending on what you're like, detail, everything that's been done to build this ornate temple, this tabernacle. And after every section of work, we read, as the Lord commanded Moses. Everything's done as God commanded. And we'll pick it up uh, right at the end in 40.33. And so Moses finished the work. The whole book has built towards this moment. The tabernacle is finished, ready for God to move in. At last, God will come down to dwell with his people. But when he does, what happens? Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and the fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel during all their travels. Even in God's perfectly built tabernacle, even after the priests have been commissioned, and even after they've carried out the right sacrifices, and even for Moses, God's mediator, they cannot even go into the tent, because when the glory of the Lord descends, it is just overwhelming. They cannot cope with it. And if you and I get the idea in our heads that because this God can come and dwell with us, he must be, you know, small, not all that holy. I mean, these are sinful people and he can dwell with them. Maybe he's not quite as awesome as some other bits of the Bible say. Well, these verses ought to be a career-ending tackle for that stupid nonsense. Throughout the Bible, you see, when people encounter the glory of God, it is overwhelming. Uh, when the temple, uh, the tabernacle is the sort of portable version of, when Solomon completes the temple, the same thing happens. The glory of the Lord fills the temple and the priest can't even go near it. When Isaiah just has a vision of the glory of God, he says it's as if the, the tassels on his garment fill the temple with his glory. And Isaiah thinks, he screams out, woe to me, I'm ruined. 
when Jesus reveals just a little glimpse of his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter's reduced to a gibbering wreck. When John, who is Jesus' best friend on earth, when he has a vision of the Lord Jesus in his full resurrection glory in Revelation 1, he falls down like a dead man on the floor. One of the things that I really pray God has been doing as we work through the book of Exodus is to give us a bigger, a truer mental image of who this God is. A God who commands nature and it destroys Egypt. A God who speaks a word and the Red Sea splits. A God who descends on Mount Sinai and shakes the mountain with fire and thunder. The God of the Exodus, the God of the Bible, is not a tame, pocket-sized, domesticated God who we can treat like a mate and will do what we like. The sun is uh, 93 million miles away, but even from that distance and even as far north as we are from the equator, it can scorch us to a crisp on a hot summer's day. And the truth is for us, as sinful human beings, even a glimpse of the glory of God is utterly overwhelming. And that is what makes the description of the new creation in that final reading we had in the book of Revelation so utterly remarkable. Turn with me to to the end of the Bible, to the very final page, page 1251, We'll start at verse 3. 1250, Revelation 22, 3. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They'll not need the lamp of, uh, light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Or just above that, verse 23 of 21, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. You see, one day you and I will be able to look full into the face of the Son of God and not be blinded. One day we'll be able to gaze at the sun and just enjoy it. One day we'll be able to stand right in front of him, not 93 million miles away, and bask in his presence and not be cremated by him. You know how um, wonderful it is on the first day of holiday, if you get to go on a hot holiday, especially if the weather's been miserable here, that feeling is the first day when you step out and, oh, it's good. I'm only wearing a T-shirt and I'm not shivering. And you just feel the warmth of the sun sort of bathe you in its comforting glow and just the world feels right that delicious feeling well imagine if the closer you got to the sun the better it felt that's how it feels 93 million miles away imagine if the closer you got the better it felt now of course we can't get any closer now because we'd just be cremated if we got any closer right now, we're the equivalent of 93 million miles away from the glory of God. But we still get some of the benefit from it. We still 
get to see and enjoy the glory of God as we meet the Lord Jesus Christ in his word and as his spirit transforms us. But imagine if the closer you got to the sun, the better it felt. Imagine what it would feel like to be at the surface of the sun. Imagine what it's going to be like when we don't just get the glimpses and hints of the glory of God that we have in Scripture now. Those moments when, when we just get caught up in how wonderful God is. Imagine what it's going to be like when we're no longer 93 million miles away, but we're right face to face with the sun. Not being destroyed by the brilliance of his presence, but basking in his fatherly gaze, enjoying the warmth of his love. Imagine how thrilling, delightful, joyous it'll be to spend all eternity able to withstand and enjoy the glory of God. So where do we see the glory of God today? Where do we see this glorious presence of God? Ask some people and actually they'll point you to YouTube and clips of churches which say that the glory cloud descends on their their services. I've looked at them and, you know, there's, you kind of see shimmering in the, in the highlights, um, basically gold glitter. And that's supposed to be the glory of God. And the people are amazed. Frankly, it is pathetic. It's like school play special effects. The glory of God in the Bible is utterly, overwhelmingly wonderful. Too much to even bear. Those videos are pathetic. You know, you can, however, go onto YouTube and see the glory of God. I really mean it. I did that uh, yesterday. I went onto YouTube and I saw the glory of God. It was a, it was a video that's been circulating of uh, a group of people with a video link to uh, a man called Dylan Roof, who earlier this week walked into a church Bible study, sat through the Bible study and then shot dead nine people. And the relatives of those people who were killed in that church, they stood up at the pre-trial video link and they said to him, I forgive you. In the name of Jesus, we forgive you. Turn to him and receive life. We forgive you. That is the glory of God visible in our world as the character of the Lord Jesus shines out from the people of the Lord Jesus Christ. The glory of God is known as the people of God make God known. And as the pages of the Bible reveal the Lord Jesus Christ to us. Spend time in this book. Rejoice that that God has enabled you and me to see his glory as we know the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not hidden himself from us. He's He's not clothed his glory away. He has revealed the Lord Jesus to us. Rejoice that as you spend time in God's word, the spirit is changing you slowly but surely, making you more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Rejoice that even now the glory of God is visible to the world as you live a life following this Lord Jesus Christ. And rejoice that one day you and I will see God's glory. We will see him face to face and be filled forevermore. One day we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Let's pray.
Our Father God, we thank you that you are a God of glory, that your presence is wonderful. Our Father, we pray that you would help us to see the Lord Jesus as we study your word, that in him we might know you. We might not just know about you, but that we might know you, experience a relationship with you as we meet him in your word. Father, we pray that your spirit would enable us to do that. And we pray that your spirit would do his work of transforming us more and more into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that as we spend time with Jesus in his word, we might be transformed and others might see in us the glory of God as we point them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.